Thank you, Nick. Man, we got a, we got a lot to cover here. Uh, get your, your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, whatever it is, ready to go to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. Now, I'm warning you that my contacts are uh, blurry and bad. Um, I couldn't find my contacts. I had to borrow one of my wife's contacts, um, which m- may not work, so I may have to go with the, uh, uh, the readers, too. So I'm just warning you that I got my, my geek uh, glasses on right there. So, hey, real fast, before I tell you about yesterday, um, well, let me tell you about yesterday. Um, our goal was to raise... Uh, $40,000 to remodel and beautify the Carlson Corridor. So like what we did with Clay Commons, I want every year when students come back to this school over the summer for their, this campus to change and uh, for you to see uh, just things that are beautified. We got 100-year-old buildings here. We got new buildings on the horizon. But there's some spaces that just need um, some new life. And one of those is the Carlson Corridor. Um, so we're going to remodel that space. I love, uh, well, I'll, I'll save that. Let, let's show you what happened yesterday. Here we go. Here we go. First slide. So in 2017... We had 120 people give to this project. We raised X amount of money, I'll show you that in a minute, and it all went to scholarship. 2018, we had 125 people participate in Give Day, and we raised money and we remodeled Clay Commons. I think Clay Commons got a nice facelift uh, over the summer. Yesterday, our goal was 150 donors, and we had 273 people participate. All right, next slide. We raised 14.5 in 2017 with 120 people. 125 people gave 38,031. Yesterday, $50,640 in one day. The goal was 40, the stretch goal was 50,000. We went over that and uh, we're blessed. Now that gives us a phenomenal amount of cash just to remodel. Carlson Corridor and make it, make it beautiful, beautiful. Okay, next slide. Uh, so here's how this thing broke down. 87 alumni gave, 71 current students gave, eight parents gave, 49 faculty and staff gave, 14 friends, eight churches, and 36 unknowns. Who are the unknowns among us? Uh, um, there were 36 unknowns. Our goal is to locate the unknowns this year, find out who these people were. Um, but this was, this was fantastic uh, engagement. For year three, something brand new, just to one day, give day uh, through the internet. It was wonderful. Next one, if you can, I got to show you that the class of 2022, which are, are, is that freshmen or sophomores? More freshmen gave yesterday than any other class uh, in this school. And I must say, we actually have one of the largest graduating classes in years this year. So we got a lot of seniors hanging around here, but I got to go hats off to the freshmen. Way to go, first year uh, students. So, all righty, I think that's it right there. Is that it? Okay, here we go. Um, we, I got lots I want to talk about. I know it's, uh, we're grinding, it's stressful. I was going to, I thought about bring, bringing to you all the papers that I have been writing as you've been writing papers. Um, I'm in school and I'm grinding. Uh, I'm gonna tell you how bad the grind has been. So um, first of all, 
I do appreciate Cheetos and Doritos. How many know late at night Cheetos and Doritos help you write? I feel like my dissertation is sponsored by Cheetos and Doritos. I shouldn't say that in front of my wife. Um, it's long after she goes to bed that we break out the good stuff. Um, but I was sick about two weeks ago, about a week ago, and I could not shake this cold. I've been sick for about a month. My sinuses, stuffy nose, <coughs> just couldn't get it right. My nose is stuffed. I'm coughing. You know, it, it was bad, 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 bad. And so also my eye got infected somehow. My contact got bent, and it, I thought it scratched my eye. So my nose is plugged up. My eye is burning for like two days. And I do not use eye drops because I'm terrified of dropping something in my eye. I just can't pull that thing off. Anybody scared of those things? I'm scared of Visine. Visine scares me. So, but my eye was in bad shape, but, you know, I, I, I'd been taking medicine. I've been spraying Afrin up my nose, you know, to clear your sinuses. How many use Afrin to get your nose so I could breathe, so that I could type, so I could write, and so I could keep my job and finish my dissertation, okay? So we're all trying to stay eligible in this room, right? Uh, academically eligible. So this is going on, and I am, it's probably what time of night? It was probably 11 o'clock at night, this is how bad it got, and so I understand, I empathize when you are, um, let's just say, jacked up. You got pressure, you're not feeling well, it's all colliding. So my nose was clogged, but my eye was burning. So I, I can't take this, I had my contacts out, I couldn't see, I was wearing those goofy glasses, I'm trying to type, and my eyes burn. I, said, I just can't take this, I don't care how much it hurts, I'm gonna do this. So I had only used Visine once in my life, I'd used it the day before, and I just, it worked, it helped me, so I, I just said, I can't take this, I can't take this, it was like one o'clock in the morning, I can't take it, I can't see, and my eye's killing me, so I, I go over to the counter, and I grab the Visine, and I go, I'm just gonna do it, clunk, clunk. and it hit my eye, and my eye explodes like Armageddon, because I had just put Afrin nose spray in my eye. <laughs> My worst fear was realized. <laughs> this is one of my great fears is putting drops in my eye. I confirmed my fear. I basically poured gasoline because you know the stuff that burns your sinuses? Boom, boom. Ah! I'm in my apartment, Karen. I go, Karen, I just burned my eye out. I just burned so much stuff. <laughs> She goes, why? I go, I put some vice in. She goes, because I couldn't see it. I didn't have my contact. She goes, that's Afrin nose spray, you idiot. <laughs> or honey. <laughs> I need that back, actually, because my, my, I kicked it so more. Thanks, bro. So anyway, have you ever been scattered, tired, that you would pour Afrin into your eye? That, to me, is what... Uh, college is all about right there. <laughs> Speaking of which, the final four is going down right now. I mean, the, the NC March Madness. Now, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for Gonzaga. Yes, why am I rooting for Gonzaga? Because of this. 
this is my active student ID card for Gonzaga. And if they make the final four, guess who gets to buy tickets at face value? A student at Gonzaga. So we were praying for Gonzaga to make the final four so I can buy those four tickets at face value. I see you, John High. I see you. He's already crawling over the. So please pray that Gonzaga makes the final four so I can go to the game. Quick update, life has been crazy busy. Uh, over, uh, catch up real quick over spring break. Um, I had the chance, Karen and I were in Canada and got a weird invitation to go speak at the prayer breakfast for the uh, British Columbia, the province of British Columbia, which is second only to Ontario in size, in Victoria, British Columbia, Victoria Island, is where Parliament is, and we were invited to speak. There's 40 uh, or 71 legislators. There was 47 at the prayer breakfast. They're all-time record. And then we were invited to spend the day at Parliament, and we're introduced. We sat in the the, the box of the Speaker of the House, uh, um, David Plekis, I think is his first name and last name. I think I got a picture of him uh, right there. Isn't that a crazy tie right there? That's the Speaker of the House in Canada uh, for Parliament in uh, Victoria. And we had the honor of representing NCU in this setting that was incredible. And I could go on and on about it, but all I can tell you is that our school, the faith of our students and the mission of this school is far more uh, far reaching than uh, we all realize is happening. And so we got invited by a tremendous leader to come back. They've advised to come back there, train their whole, this would be like going to the Minnesota State House and them closing it down for a day. They have 550 employees at this place. They said, would you come back now and train leaders in what you just shared? We'll close the place literally for the day. Now, the reason I tell you that is because I went there, I'm a, uh, I wanna be an overflowing believer a bold believer, shared the gospel at the, at the prayer breakfast. Three quarters of the room are not Christians in that room. Uh, very kind, very noble people, kind of there out of ceremony and respect. And then probably a person who's most an, antithetical to uh, our, the, the scriptures introduced us at the parliament and um, gave us um, a, an invitation or a welcome that uh, I just couldn't believe a Christian was receiving this in that setting. So how your life spreads out in the days ahead is going to be a shock to you. I've told you half of what happens in your life is because of good preparation. The other half you never saw coming. Uh, if you keep your heart right and your relationships healthy, you'll be shocked at what is given to you along the way. One of my favorite stories as a, or shows as a kid was Mission Impossible. They would come up to the, to the spy like on the spur of the moment, hand them an envelope and with the next assignment. I would say half of my life has been that way. I find out about a minute before it happens what the next assignment is going to be. And it is a powerful and wonderful way to follow Christ. And so uh, I just want you to know everybody's out there cranking it and going it and grinding it, bringing this university faculty. They're, uh, just scores of them are publishing, traveling, uh, bringing the message of this great university, always coming back home here into this room, into this campus, uh, to bring the best of the best to our students. Um, but this school is really having a far-reaching impact. One other thing I want to show you real fast. Do you have a, a photo of the, there we go. Go to, go to grandkids. This is 
a little bit of what happened right there. That's little Tessa, right? Is that Tessa? Yes. I have so many of them now, I don't know which one is which. Um, we have number nines coming, so that's Tessa. She was born in Brazil. We have not held her or kissed her yet. Uh, so that's coming very, 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 very soon. And then do you have another baby picture? Do you have, that's Emerson right there. He was just born. Little Emerson, that's Spencer and Brianna's little fella. Go to the next picture, please. That is Olivia, Tessa's older sister. That is not a stage Photoshop picture. That is just absolute, well, they probably kind of orchestrated a little bit in there, but that's Olivia loving on her little sister, Tessa, uh, down in Brazil. Is that the last picture? Okay, keep the next one uh, in the queue. Um, all righty, I just want to say, Trent Redmond, where you at? Would you stand up? You led the whole give day. What a great, great job. Great. The team, there were students. If any of the students that were in the call center last night, would you stand up real quick? Any of the students, even if there's a couple of you here, if you were in the call center, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Stand up. Stand up. You guys were crazy. Good last night. Fantastic. Hopefully they gave you lots of Doritos and Cheetos and all that fun stuff to keep you going. Thank you to everybody uh, under the direction of uh, uh, Dr. Denton who heads up all of our uh, advancement. Great vision, great plan, and uh, we're going to have a new Carlson Corridor uh, coming our way. Okay, go to Genesis chapter 26. Here we go. Genesis 26. I might have to get my glasses on. I apologize, Karen. She hates these. She hates these glasses. Um, okay, Genesis 26. This particular chapter, I referenced this last year in um, kind of a sub-point in one of my teachings to a chapel early on last year, and I want to go a little deeper with this and expand on uh, this a little bit more. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three great personalities and patriarchs and fathers that were the catalytic early uh, generators, uh, them and their wives, with the nation of Israel. The promise came to Abram uh, in Genesis 12. Uh, I'm going to raise you up to be a father of a nation. The nation's going to have so many people living in it one day that you can't count them. It's going to be like stars and sand. And it's all going to come through. He had not had one kid yet. Can you imagine the Lord telling you that you're going to have offspring that will multiply? That will be so numerous that you can't count them, but you, even, you haven't even had one yet? It played with his mind. It played with his wife's psyche as well. <clears throat> they said, well, that's a, a great concept. Now we'll work out the details, Lord, and that's typically what we do. And so they, they came up with the plan to fit the promise. And the Lord said, no, 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 My, I have a plan for the promise. Okay, it's not up to you to crank out these details or tell me why this is not possible. We're older, we're dried up, we can't have kids. We haven't even had one. How are we gonna have that many? They didn't understand that every star that they were looking at in the heavenlies would produce a star. They thought their own life had to produce the whole galaxy. So their brain couldn't wrap around. God gives you a vision. It's so massive. And you think that it really is up to you to generate, administrate, <clears throat> and produce every piece of the vision. No. You produce reproducers. That's why leadership is not about production. It's about reproduction. It's about you reproducing your life. So Abraham uh, 
understands finally that that star <coughs> is going to reproduce another star, that that sand, that grain of sand reproduced. That's how this nation is going to come to be. But they all wrestled with it. The baton was then passed to Isaac, and the baton was then passed to Jacob. And then the tribes of Israel began to uh, become the prominent uh, multipliers of all, all of this. But Isaac is often forgotten in the trilogy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Matter of fact, I grew up, <coughs> the only thing I ever heard about Isaac is that he was gonna be sacrificed on an altar by his dad. Never really heard a story about Isaac. Nothing really notable about Isaac per se other than he was part of the storyline. And so here's what happens. Chapter one, it says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, his father. So Isaac went to Gerar, which is a great hometown, Gerar, uh, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Do not do this. Now friends, when you look back at your life, things that the Lord prohibits will be as significant as the doors that he opens. Leadership, kingdom leadership is as much pulling weeds as it is planting flowers. So what I mean by that is the word no or don't, don't go there, don't do this, is equally significant to your destiny as the Lord saying, please go do this. You have to be willing not to do certain things that the Lord says no to, not simply the stuff that he says yes to. And so he says, don't go down to Egypt. You, matter of fact, you look back in your life. I was telling a student this, that I look back in my life and the most significant things that have happened in my life are the things that did not happen. I've wanted four jobs in my life that I went after with all my heart and they picked somebody else. Four times I really had an aspiration, this before this, and so I really had a calibrated enthusiasm or expectation coming to North Central because this very well could not happen. And so what happened was, in these other cases, I look back now, had that happened, it would have messed up my life. Now when I was not chosen, <coughs> it only became a crisis if I made it one. Not being picked for something is only a crisis if you make it a crisis. But I promise you, the greatest, most talented leaders, anointed men and women in this room, you will not be chosen for stuff that you're qualified and ready to do. They're going to pick somebody else. Not because they're more qualified or talented. It just wasn't the plan of God. But he kind of passes you through this. You know, Acts chapter 1, it's so funny that Barsabbas, not Barabbas and not Barnabas, but Barsabbas is a forgotten character. Acts 1, Judas Iscariot is taken out of the equation and they're going to replace him, so they bring two people forward, Matthias and Barsabbas, to replace Judas Iscariot. Now this is a coveted slot. This is one of the 12 pillars of heaven. This is a disciple, one of the 12. And these slots don't come around, if ever. And you're up for this. So Matthias and Barsabbas are brought forward and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of these people. And uh, they pick, you know, uh, Matthias. Um, and Barsabbas has to go back and take a seat. How embarrassing is that? They cast lots and like, Lord, why did you do that? Why did you take me through a journey of disappointment? 
Why am I qualified enough to be considered? But then you pick somebody else. <clears throat> Why would God do that to a person? Why would he kind of dance on their aspiration a little bit and make them go through that whole process? Why couldn't you have just said, Lord, hey, pick Matthias here. He's the, he's the apostle replacement for Judas. Why do I have to go out there, try out, and then not get picked? And it could solely be because he's building the buoyancy and he's testing the heart of this very strong, capable leader, reaffirming that the leader loves the Lord more than the assignment, loves the Lord more than the leadership post, and is simply testing that and reaffirming in that disciple that I can handle not being chosen for something. Because what the devil does, he brings this depression of unwantedness into your life. And we, we become very vulnerable when the Lord picks other people to do stuff in our life. It's happened to me on four distinct occasions. My current assignment, I was doing it. If I got picked, I would move to a different assignment. So during the process of possibility, the whole assignment I was in kind of went from color to black and white. And then I wasn't picked. Now I'm kind of jacked up. I'm in no man's land. And it took about a day, 48 hours, because I was still in my assignment. I had to stay there. And all I can tell you is that I chose to trust the Lord and the color came back. And then I usually had like the five best years ever in that assignment after not being chosen for something I wanted to do. So sometimes the Lord says, don't go to Egypt. This isn't the path for you. I want you to go here. And as a matter of fact, verse three says, I want you to sojourn in the land and I'll be with you and I will bless you. <coughs> Sojourning is a tricky word. It is kind of connotates this idea of wandering. It somewhat lends itself to a transitionary time where things are really not purposeful in your life. Maybe even turbulence hits you during sojourning. He said, I want you to go sojourn. I've taken away a specific location. I'm going to kind of give you a generality. Go walk around for a while. Go sojourn. I'm going to bless you, though, in that space. So he said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven to, to Isaac, what, he, what the Lord spoke to Abram. Now watch this. So all the nations will be blessed. So it says that Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of that place, verse 7, asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Now when I read that, I used to go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm messed up here. I, I, I've lost my place. I've already read this story. What, what's going on here? That she's my sister. So I thought I was confused, like I'd lost my Bible reading guide, I'd lost my place, why am I reading the same thing twice? Then I realized I had read it six chapters earlier in chapter 20 of Genesis because it was exactly what his dad did. He had been brought back to the same intersection as his pop. And he realized that he was now telling the same lies. I shared this last year, I call it the family tree. It's the lie of the family tree. He told the same lie at the same pressure point as his parents, as his father. I do it, you do it, we all do it. We're born into this condition where we replicate the narrative. We really are the second iteration or version of the father, the third iteration or version of the grandparents, kind of live their way through us. It's called iniquity. And then what happens is the Lord meets us and he alters 
not in a way that dishonors our family, but he alters the narrative and, and really creates a brand new starting point in the life of the one who turns to the Lord and draws their identity from the Lord, not their family tree, as jacked up as the tree could be. So he lies about his wife the way that his dad lied about his wife, and he said, she's my sister, the way dad said she's my sister, because he was afraid, thinking they will take her, kill him. And then it's revealed, and the king basically said, get out of here, you brought a curse upon us, so he left. And he began in verse 15, he says, now he started this process of, now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped up by filling them with earth. So Abimelech tells Isaac to leave. Then Isaac, verse 18, dug wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father and the Philistine, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Um, so he names these places in his life, Essek and Sitna, which mean adversity and struggle. So I'm going to hyper-paraphrase this. Isaac is behaving just like his dad. He comes to a defining moment in his life where he has to make a decision. The Lord is blessing him, but he's still lying like his dad. We all carry memories. Memories are designed to make us grateful, not bitter. That's the design of memories. What the enemy does is he keeps us bitter with memories instead of grateful with memories because sometimes all our memory is is that, Lord, that really was awful period of my life, but you got me through it. You helped me through that season. Put that picture up if you will. One of the darkest moments of my life was in this house. I lived in 27 locations. Uh, that was my bedroom right there. I took this picture uh, 10 days ago. I was up in Seattle, drove back through on my way to Gonzaga, and I found the house, I found numerous houses that we lived in, and I'm collecting all 27 childhood locations. That's my bedroom. Uh, I moved into that bedroom in fifth grade, and I moved out of that bedroom in uh, seventh grade. Three of the darkest years of my life, that pine tree in the front, I remember it being as tall as I was. I think my dad planted it. My parents' bedroom was upstairs. Uh, you can hardly see the house. It looks like a, a nightmare on Elm Street or some crazy uh, movie Crazy thing. But I used to sneak out of that window all the time. I can't even tell you the unspeakable horrors that took place in that house. That's a house of horror, a house of hell. Um, I should never have had any semblance of emotional anything after those three years in that house. Crimes were committed in that house. Um, unspeakable things happened in that home. And my refuge was basketball, the boys club. I used to go down there and play hoop literally every day. But I parked in front of the house a week and a half ago. I parked there, took the picture, and I stared at that window because I used to sneak in and out of that window in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Out in the middle of the night, run the neighborhoods with my friends, vandalize things, steal stuff, and basically cope. Um, trying to get outside that, that, that home. And I'm not overstating it. I just want to say this. Um, we're going to go into prayer in a moment. I very easily could have continued the family tree that was flourishing in all of its deceit on that property. What the Lord did for me is I love my mom and dad. My dad had a great homecoming with Christ before he died. I honor my dad. I get all of my, my outward skills from my dad, my, my speaking, all that comes from my pop. I love my pop. Greatest storyteller I ever met in my life. He just 
there was just darkness that ruled and reigned in him that he got from grandpa and it just went on. So my biggest quest as a leader, as I stand as your president, is being free of that tree. Um, getting to the same intersection under the same family pressure and defaulting to the family lie is one of the greatest things that Jesus has done in my life is be able to free me from the family lie. Now, now I'm going to paraphrase. I got less than a minute. Musicians, come up here on the stage here. Um, now watch this. Isaac leaves that place. He's not totally free from his pattern. Now what was weird is God was blessing Isaac while he still carried <clears throat> this juxtaposition of of being under the promise of God in his life, but also defaulting to family behavior that was destructive. I was so touched by Lon's sermon the other day. Unforgettable, unforgettable. Never heard a human being describe panic attack like that. It was brilliant um, and freeing, so powerful. So Isaac <clears throat> then starts a cycle of his life of problem solving. He goes back to address his father's world. He goes back to the wells. He starts to dig a well and stop a well. And then the Philistines throw dirt in his well. He digs a well, they throw dirt in his well. You ever felt like that's the cycle of your life? Every time you try to make progress, the devil or somebody just throws dirt in your well. So you get up and you're a hard worker, you're a problem solver, you're smart. So you dig a new well and the Philistines come and throw dirt in your well. And so your life becomes a whole cycle of problem solving. Your whole life is problem solving. And I'm here to tell you, that's not why God put you on this earth. He didn't put you on this earth to wake up every day and solve a problem. Somebody's dogging you. That's why I said yesterday, the list of things you love has to be much greater than the list of things you hate. And this culture is teaching you to make a long list of stuff you hate. You need to be a person that says, I have a whole list of things I love. I want to be like Joy, the 102-year-old on the screen yesterday. She used the word love at least 20 times in that two minutes. She never said one word called hate. Love. So Isaac is digging wells. Dirt dig, dirt dig. Life becomes a series of problems that he solves. Here's where we wrap. He finally comes in the story to a place and it says the Philistines stopped throwing dirt in his well. How great is that? He called that place Rehoboth, which means breath or breathe. <sighs> finally after all these years I can breathe then the Bible says he got up and left that place and went to a new place called Beersheba why would you leave a place where you can finally breathe there's no more dirt in your wells your problems solved why would you get up and leave that place because he realized quickly that life isn't about solving problems or being free from problems. Your life, the purpose of your life is something more. So he, he went to Beersheba where the voice of the Lord had spoken to his father. The Lord spoke to him at Beersheba. And the Bible says this, that there he built an altar and then dug a well. Up until that time, everything that we read about Isaac is that he woke up every morning and dug a new well, solved the problem. Problem solved, stress, I got to solve the problem. Boom, boom, boom devil throws dirt in the well, dug a new well. I'm strong. Boom, boom, boom. First thing he did every day is dig a well because that's what life's about, solving problems, right? But then his problem's not there. 
and his life becomes boring and purposeless, so he goes to Beersheba because he realizes that the deep call of his life is not to solve problems, it's the presence of God. The purpose of your life and mine is his presence. Beersheba was about the presence of the Lord, not the problem. And for the first time we see Isaac, he builds an altar before he digs the well. So if you're going to flip one thing in your life, you have to wake up thinking presence. Don't wake up thinking problem. We got to dig some wells and solve some problems, but he built the altar, then dug the well instead of digging the well and then building the altar. That is a fundamental shift for the rest of your life that in the midst of problems, I tell myself, my life is not about solving this problem, Lord. My life is about your presence, your voice in my life. I don't want to be caught in a cycle of solving problems and then trying to chase your presence. I want to wake up, establish your presence, and then go solve the problem. So you build altars before you dig wells. Read it, chapter 26 of Genesis. He dug the well after he built the altar when he got to Beersheba. I pray that that pattern would mark my life, mark your life, mark this university, because you'll be a phenomenal problem solver for the rest of your life if you put the altar before the well. Let's stand together, friends. Jesus, we love you today. We love you today. We love you today. We love you today, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us in the furiousness of the end of, or the halfway through point toward the end of this year, not to put Afrin in our eye, God. Help us, Lord, to slow down. Think about what we're doing, Lord, because we put the altar before the well. This is one of the most significant stories of my whole life, Lord, this passage of Scripture, Lord. It changed the way I think about my life, my leadership, my family, my past, that house. Lord, free us from the clutches of the family lie, Lord. We honor our parents, Lord. But Jesus, you are our point of origin, Lord Jesus. Our new birth, Lord. A new seed, God. Incorruptible, Lord Jesus. Born again, God. That the DNA of my Father in heaven and of Christ, who revealed God on this earth, Lord, is the most dominant thing in my life, Lord. I can contextualize that house. I can actually see that house, and it does not trigger fear or bitterness about my childhood, Lord. That house triggers a testimony inside me, Lord. It triggers compassion inside of me, Lord. An awareness of the world around me that is hurting, Lord. That's all that is. That's a testimony, Jesus. Even as I was there 10 days ago staring at that window again, thanking you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. If you have been caught in a cycle of problem before presence, and you want to flip that script and say, Lord, i got to put your presence before I put my problems, Lord. And it's got to be a pattern for the rest of my life. These altars are going to be open. We're going to pray. We're going to spend our normal time of prayer and fasting. That's going to be the first part of the, of the prayer and fasting. Prayer for the next day for those who are going to be participating uh, in this wonderful endeavor. 
And uh, be spontaneous, even if you didn't sign up, uh, to jump into these prayer times. We're going to open up these altars. Let the worship team go for it. We love you. Stay on top of your homework. Keep reading your Bibles and keep loving the church. What Gordon Anderson said, guard your heart, watch your mouth, love the church. What a powerful statement. We love you. And let's go after his presence in all that we do. These altars are open for you. God bless.